So I'm curious of what your definition of intentional is. I, I think uh, you easily recognize the outcomes, you know, and, and, and know that they're happening along the way. Welcome to Intentional Growth, a show that teaches you as a business owner and entrepreneur to view and run your company like a financial asset, which will allow you to enjoy work, create wealth, and make an impact. This mindset will help you focus on building a more valuable business and give you the choices to grow, acquire, reinvest, or exit and live the life you plan for, all with intention. And now here's your host, Ryan Tansom. Welcome back, everybody. Happy holidays. Thanks for tuning back in. I'm very excited for today's topic and guest. I've got a T for Feek on the show. He was one of the first chief digital officers in history of the Fortune 500 and a pioneering role he held at McDonald's. And he's going to talk about what he did at McDonald's. I can't even imagine the the amount of coordination that he had to take McDonald's and roll it into the digital age with all the stakeholders. And he rose to the president level in the Fortune 300. And he's an author and a sweet, sweet executive, as well as a board member. And the book that we're uh, going to be talking about today is called Decision Sprint, The New Way to Innovate into the Unknown and Move from Strategy to Action. And I love it because I can't even imagine the red tape that Atif had to deal with throughout his career. And he had to handle how to take ideas and then roll them into action. And he's going to introduce a couple concepts that I can't stop thinking about, which is input versus output meetings and how those have to do with coming up with the ideas, making sure that we have all the right inputs, and then we get into the output meetings where we're executing and how to do it with the unknown being part of the equation. I know you're going to love this conversation. He does a wonderful job at breaking down his methodology, and I highly recommend picking up his book. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and I really hope you enjoy this interview with Atif. This episode is brought to you by Arcona's Fractional CFO Services. Arcona's Fractional CFOs integrate into your management team and assume the responsibility of the CFO. They become your strategic financial partner to help you run the business, create your value growth plan, and build the financial roadmap to the valuation you want to achieve. Good morning, Altif. How are you? I'm doing great, Ryan. How about yourself? I'm I'm doing great. I, I'm very excited for this conversation. I had got your uh, the 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 clip about your background, the book, and I'll be honest, like the book title and then the book little phrase. I was like, oh my god, it's just like I started juicing from the mouth. I'm like, how to take strategy and ideas into execution? I'm an idea guy. A lot of people listening in are idea people, and then the execution part. <laughs> it's about kind of thread that needle, man. And uh, I, and you have a unique system and some very fascinating concepts that I can't wait to understand how you came up with like upstream versus downstream and input meetings versus output meetings. Well, why don't you just give everybody a little bit of an overview of your background and then we'll kind of jump into how you started coming up with these concepts. Sure. Yeah, Ryan, I'm happy to do it. Um, well, I'm mainly a Silicon Valley background. Uh, very early on in my career, I decided that finance wasn't for me. I then uh, worked at Goldman Sachs for two years and I was like, this is, this is no thanks. <laughs> I, I was like, yeah, like this is not a real business. I mean, it's more transactions. I want to, I want to be part of the day to day operations of something where I can touch the fabric. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to be more into uh, uh, an actual business, and I fell in love with technology quite early. So I got involved in the internet space. You know, really at the very early stages of the thing, and and that led to you know. Uh, just being involved with companies like Yahoo and Amazon and, and some startups as well uh, for, you know, for over 15 years. And I thought I'd pretty much do that for the rest of my career. But in 2013, about 10 years ago, something in the world began to change. And that change was that every business saw themselves as, you know, potentially that they could take advantage of digitization and technology mm -hmm. or they might be disrupted by it. Right. So to, Two ends of it. So everyone from you know McDonald's to Starbucks started thinking about technology not as like a back office thing, but actually a customer facing mm -hmm. thing. And um, you know, I got a call from the CEO of McDonald's, and uh, fortunately, I became the first uh, chief digital officer in the history of the Fortune 500. So I, I said yes to that opportunity because it seemed like an opportunity to blaze a new trail, and and and. As a result of that, I was able to help you know, multiple Fortune 500 companies grow 
at a time when, when they really needed it. Uh, so that's my background in a, in a nutshell. Uh, I, when I was reading in your book about your McDonald's experience, and what did you say? It was like 100 countries trying to uh, layer in an app that everybody – I, honestly, I was sitting there going, I can't even imagine. You're, you probably could be a lobbyist now because of how many stakeholders you had to unify together. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. It did feel like government sometimes. <laughs> where you're like, wait, are we a company or are we, you know, a bunch of, you know, different sort of political alliances here? Um, and that's part of how the company works is, you know, they call it three legs of the stool with the, you know, the franchisees, the suppliers and the, the corporate they need to team up to to really help that company, you know, reach customers. Uh, so let, let's yeah. take like, well, and I think about why that's so important to me, because like I've I've gone through, you know, sales of companies where you have so many stakeholders that are trying to get to one goal. And it's like, and, and I'm, I'm kind of seeing inside your thoughts or potentially of like how you ended up with the material that you did. What, before we jump in, like I your definition of transformation, because I mean, the digital transformation wave you've been helping people with, how would you describe what that means? And then how that impacts kind of the different stakeholders that need to get uh, in agreement towards whatever this transformation means? Well, a transformation is basically a generational leap, meaning um, whatever you're going to set up, it's going to pretty much be the engine for the next 25 you know, years, pretty much. And so it's actually really hard because um, there's probably something that's already been set up and people are, are used to it. And now here you come along, you know, trying to paint a picture for something where a lot of things need to be rethought. So, you know, you get a lot of resistance, you get some advocates, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of hard work. Uh, the good news is that on the other side of it, um, you know, it, it can be like rocket fuel, like I said, for, for a long time. So, I mean, the work we started doing in 2013 at McDonald's, you know, it's it's ten years later, but they can annually look at you know several uh, points of growth, you know percentage mm -hmm. points of growth, and count on it because it's just it just has a lot of a lot of tailwinds, you know, and that's really mm -hmm. what transformation is about. Well, so when I hear the word transformation, it, I, my old younger self would have been like, oh, I'm so excited for all the change and what's possible. And now, as I think about like through my own personal experience of I mean, we went from a copier business to like a technology company and like, and uh, if I, I gave out the book at this, at our all company meeting to a hundred employees of who moved my cheese. <laughs> Cause like I, we had to break it down to like the elementary of like, Hey, we're going to be fine. So how do you address, like, did a lot of what your, 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 the is in the book stem from just like change management and how to have good conversations? Like, how did you, how did you start to realize that there was more to just like executing some mobile app that people wanted? Well, I mean, I, very, I think very quickly, uh, I knew that wasn't the way to you know, talk about these things, even though that's a tactic. Um, but the way I, I, I spoke about it at McDonald's, starting at the board level was that, look, you know, our company is, is a great company and it's really about three things, taste, value, and convenience. And I can't help you with the first two, but the third one, that's where we need to set our eyes on what good looks like, you know, for the future and start to act on it right now. And so convenience is always something we've owned. And, and when we talk about it this way, Ryan, we basically are, we're not trying to do something, you know, vastly different. We're, we're doing something that's really part of the heritage of the organization we're just trying to recast it. And then when you break that down convenience, you say, well, today there are two or three ways to use McDonald's and get your food from McDonald's. How about we invent two or three new service models? How about that? And then what does that look like? So you start working down sort mm -hmm. of these al altitudes of things and see if you can get people to to come along on the journey. You know, that's that's an important important part of it. But yes, to answer your question, 100% of why I wrote this book and what I learned is because I was in a situation where I badly needed it and I wasn't going to be able to, you know, execute on my role if I didn't find ways to to kind of get and mobilize an organization for for change. Yeah, because that's the, the mobilization and the unification towards that ultimate goal that's unified is what the rocket fuel is, right? It's like when everybody's chugging along at the same, you know, towards the same direction. You, you had mentioned it in your book, Atif, is like, why in God's name did it take this long for someone to realize that there was a missing thread between strategy and execution and, you know, at the Fortune 500 companies that you were dealing with, that there wasn't a playbook for something like this? 
Yeah, I mean, the re reason I think, Ryan, is that, um, you know, a lot of Fortune 500 companies are really, you know, writing on a playbook of the past of the 1950s when Peter Drucker, you know, mm -hmm. wrote about man management theory and then Jack Wells came along and for, you know, for a generation kind of seeded this, the idea, which was right at the time that execution is king. And then that actually began to change in there, you know, probably 20 years ago, to be honest with you, where execution is not enough because the, the pace of change outside is just a lot. And then mm -hmm. you need to figure out how you move as quickly internally to kind of process some of that external change and figure out what it means to what you're doing. And, you know, the world is not this kind of the stable place where a business can make a six month plan and just stick to it. Uh, and I'm not saying you, you know, you replan every, every, uh, you know, every day, certainly that's not the case, but you need to know that there is a lot of ambiguity out there and you don't want that to cause you to be stuck. You want to, you want to do something about these unknowns that, that come up so you can mm -hmm. be confident in the actions that you take. And that is something that's really more left to chance and personality in companies. And usually there is no, no system for it. Yeah. It, it yeah, chance and personalities. I, I mean, I can see that. And unfortunately, what I think a lot of people do is they grab onto those couple examples and they think like they extrapolate to like that's the norm. But it's a lot of people sitting in these rooms trying to wonder why we head in the right direction. So why don't you kind of break down decision sprint, what it is? Because I know you've got a lot of components, and I really love your concepts because I think uh, to like concepts are a way to think about and it just opens up your ability to do things differently and you broke out some that were very fascinating to me so break down strategy and execution some of the the couple concepts that we'd already alluded to well i think um any organization you know whether it's a small business or a large company generally has this what i call a problem solving frontier and that's a fancy word but you know in plain language that's essentially uh, you know, these are the meaningful areas where we can invent something or we can improve something that we already do. And that's pretty much what I'm referring to there. And this problem solving frontier, you know, it can't be 40 things, right? It needs to be, you know, a few big buckets and then maybe they mm -hmm. break down to some other buckets, right? And so it's important to know what these are. And I don't care if you run a car wash or you run Lululemon, uh, or you have world domination as McDonald's, you know, you have a problem solving frontier and, um, you know, no one can tell you what it is that you know what it is because you're the operator, you know what that mm -hmm. is. So I think it's important to be clear about that. Now, within that, um, the work I, the, what I try and elaborate on in decision sprint is the idea that, um, some of the opportunities are, you know, ambiguous, like what should we do? And what I'm, what I do in the book is break down, the, you know, getting you from idea to execution in three phases. And those phases are exploration, alignment, and decision-making. And I'll just go into the first one because I think mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the key one to, of course, start with. So purposeful exploration is a really good use of time because if you're taking a, a problem that's meaningful for the company, meaning if there's opportunity, if it works out, you know, there's really a lot of value there. And what you want to be able to do is before you rush to judgment or have a, you know, a strong conclusion on what the right thing to do is, you need to slow down a little bit. And I advocate for building and running explorations, which are essentially, you know, making it clear what is the problem statement. And then basically gathering enough of the, you know, the, the key questions or the unknowns and trying to get to the bottom of them and doing that before coming, drawing a conclusion or making a recommendation. And I think this is, uh, you know, something that's often missed in companies who often do alignment before exploration and it needs to be the other way around. So would you think about that, uh, Tiff, is like uh, kind of the bullets uh, from Jim Collins' book, you know, good to great, like the bullets versus the cannonballs. Like, hey, you're doing the A-B testing before you, you put all your resources and all your bets on the thing that you're not sure will actually work out. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the the response to these unknowns is usually one of two things. It's either to be cavalier or is to shrink and sort of do a limited idea, you know? So the being limited is basically like, oh, we're, we're kind of acting out of fear, so we'll shrink the idea. And then you, you execute on something that's uh, it's kind of a yawner, right? Like the customer doesn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The customer doesn't notice. You still do a lot of work. 
or being cavalier is just wishful thinking like uh well we got there's a lot of holes we can poke in this but let's give it a go and that's not a great way to run a business either and i know that business owners don't like that because yeah, they've probably been burned by that in the past right mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. the, the better way is sort of the middle way where you're saying okay the, there are a lot of unknowns here we're not going to shrink in terms of big thinking here but we're going to systematically sort of identify these unknowns in my book i talk about doing that in the form of questions so just imagine developing a good question list you know enough of the right questions about the things that need to be understood and mm -hmm. spending a little bit of time you know, getting to the bottom of those questions was a little bit of your detective work. Um, and then pulling that together to then say, okay, what, what recommendations make sense based on, on this kind of exploration of, of the problem that's in front of us. Mm -hmm. uh, and that I think is, I'm offering a methodology for this in the end where, and, uh, the bigger your company is, the more likely that you need, <laughs> you need a methodology. Uh, because otherwise the trains will move very fast towards, you know, you know, different alignments. They just don't stop. The trains don't stop, right? So the bigger you are, the faster it's going, the harder it is to stop or pause. <laughs> A lot of blind spots. In fact, the bigger you are, I think the more likely you'll miss input because, you know, you, you need a brain trust. We talked about this a little bit before, Ryan, where, you know, a good company has the brain trust moving where like, okay, based on what we're trying, we're looking at here or the problem we're trying to solve, what are the nuggets of input we need from this organization? That's why we have the people, right? We mm -hmm. want, and in a big company, <clears throat> you know, sometimes uh, it's it's big, it's cross-functional, right? And so, sometimes those inputs are missed. So let, let, honestly, like your input versus output meeting, like, oh my God, like I, I started using it right off the bat and then I started even doing it with my wife. <laughs> I was just like, well, can you can you break it down for the audience? Because it was like life changing because of how many times I realized I was in these meetings where everyone was conflating the meeting and the purpose of the meeting, which just leads to tension, drama, conflict. That's unnecessary, even though there's a bunch of good people in the room. Yeah, well, right. <clears throat> an output meeting is one where we've done the detective work, we've built an exploration, we've um, you know we've done the fact finding. We, we've drawn conclusions, we have recommendations, and you, and you can you can have the, like this red thread between where you started and, and where you're at, you know, and you can make that connection between these recommendations and the work behind it. And then, and then you're ready to, let's say, make a decision or a commitment or buy-in or something like that. That's more of what I call uh, an output meeting. And it's gotta be, it's gotta stand on its legs, right? Like you don't wanna be, a stakeholder in an output meeting where you can poke a lot of holes or you can't follow the work, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and and as a result, we also need the other kind of meeting, which is an input meeting where we're shaping all everything. And we're not at a point where we're trying to have a strong opinion or create alignment or say, let's go, right? It's not about right. yes or no at that point. It's more about like, hey, what do we know? What do we not know? How do we find out what we don't know? Out of all the things we don't know, which ones are most important? How do we weight them? Um, you know, who, what kind of brain trust can we assemble to make sure we do high quality detective work? Okay. And then obviously let's just be in some ivory tower for two months, but say, okay, where do we want to be when? Okay. In 10 days, we're going to be ready to kind of look at it, what we've canvassed and, and roll up the sleeves and, and start, you know, discussing, have dialogue around the recommendations or the different options. So but we need to have that input meeting of course before we do the output meeting and sometimes you know you find a situation where we we haven't done a great job with the inputs and we're trying to get people to commit in an output session and that i think is you know that's that's where things you know don't feel great to people involved well and i and i I like how you cracked a smile a little bit because I can only uh, assume that all of this came from personal experience of being in meetings where you're kind of banging your head against the wall going like, what's going on here? How, like, if this is not clear, like, what are the symptoms people should be observing of like, if they haven't cleared this up, how will that manifest in meetings for people? And how did you come up with this topic? Because obviously this came from you experiencing it. Well, the way it came up is absolutely what you said, Ryan, which is being an executive and on the receiving end of a lot of hard work by teams where um, maybe what it, what I experienced in a meeting uh, could be 
uh, a very long meeting, number one. And then the last five minutes is where they're saying, oh, these are our recommendations and they're big commitments. They're asking for a lot of money. And some of these things are one-way doors, meaning like once you start building and assigning the resources, it's not that easy to kind of undo it. So you mm-hmm. you have a lot at stake. You got to be right, or you got to be you know pretty confident that you're right. Um, and, but it's it's kind of a little bit out of balance because um, you're not convinced. And the way when they're walking you through, they're not doing a great job of how they got to the things that they're recommending. Um, and that's okay. It's just that we're not ready for that step. So let's go back and let's help shape it together. Okay. What's yep. the problem you're trying to solve? Um, right. And what, what are, and I, and I, and I've, I, I, I'm tracking a hundred percent. And I think about like the, the misalignment with that then is like, if someone's truly just trying to ask a question in a graceful, loving way, but if someone is trying to defend their position because of their job, their performance, their bonus, whatever it is, they're going to feel attacked, even though that's not even the intent. So like literally the emotional misalignment right off the bat of how they're interpreting each other's conversations breeds just waste of time, money, drama, all that kind of stuff. That's a, that's a brilliant comment because psychological safety is important in the workplace and in an input meeting, you have psychological safety. Meaning you're not, you know, you're not being judged. You're not saying, Hey, that's, that's a crazy recommendation or option to recommend. Um, because that's not where we're at. You know, we're at the point of like, what could go wrong or like, how would, how would, how would Amazon think about it? What would Google do if they were in this industry? You know, you're asking all these kind of questions that help you be a little bit more expansive, make sure you don't have any missed, uh, considerations, any blind spots, right? Cause that is the time to really corral some of the key things and and then make them actionable go do some detective work against that and come back and Mm -hmm. psychological safety you know this is not the you know when this doesn't happen it's it's not because the teams did something wrong because the leaders have not set up an environment where they actually give that space so it actually starts with leadership to provide the space for things like purposeful Mm -hmm. exploration or you know gathering inputs so I, I got a uh, interesting question because, um, you know, with our, with my experience being disproportionately in privately held companies, not backed by professional investors, my partners have got experiences in private equity rollups and stuff like that. But like the audience kind of a flavor, as we had talked about, like privately held, like we're, if they don't want to do something, they kind of just don't have to. But like what I like, it would come in from your experience where like what I, what I, I think is very fascinating about VC led companies, PE companies or private or public companies very target financial targets that are clear financial targets that just drive behavior and timelines. And so I say, I'm saying this because I've, I've watched where like with your book, you're talking about thinking. And I think like, you know, I don't, I'm curious, honestly, like in your, your experience in your world, has thinking always been valued the way it is now? And, and because I think a lot of the people in my space, they get sucked into the day to day. And it's the whole proverbial work on the business, not in the business. But people are like, I don't even know what that means. Cause you know, you could be running a $200 million company, still playing the role of CEO. And you can't, and I think people have this natural tendency to do, 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 do. And if we're not doing, they, they get full of anxiety, which then forces them kind of just back to the doing. But your input meetings that you're talking about, it's, I, I just think about it like the Abraham Lincoln, six hours to chop down a tree, four hours to cut it. Right. And like, so has as like, has there been a shift in like the value of thinking and good thinking or is that like, does the question make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd like to tell you the answer is yes, but I don't think we're there yet. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but I think it's coming. And I think it's the, the reason why it's coming is because of AI and, um, but let me mm-hmm. go back and then we can go forward. And yeah. And feel free to justify or put some uh, color to that, that comment. I like it. Well, I, I would love to tell you that, you know, in your Fortune 500 co- company, there's enough of the right thinking, but, you know, there's a lot of demands, there's day-to-day pressures, and actually people don't even know if they have permission to think um, because if they start thinking or asking questions, you know, are they, will it come across the right way? Um, does it seem like they're just in a research lab wasting time? You know, those are some of the mm, interesting that cause people to say, okay, well, 
um, yeah, what is my objective and like, what does the organization want from me? But that's not a very empowered thing, you know? So instead, I think uh, we find a balance where we say like, okay, you're not going to set some random priority that's not linked to where your company's headed, but every company has a strategy, right? Especially bigger companies, they have this pyramid chart with some strategies, some pillars, uh, each pillar has some key initiatives. So you, you, your company has put a stake in the ground. This is where we want to go. Within that, you know, you should be able to, you know, work with a team and be able to look at new ideas and do things like purposefully explore them to see if they have merit, right? And be able to make the case or at least tee it up for further consideration, things like that. So we need to, we need to do more of that in the big companies. But the reason why I made the comment about AI is because, you know, AI is just, you know, uh, really good at helping you surface things and uh, all the existing knowledge in the world about a, a particular subject. I mean, if you, if you're a company and you, and your next big idea is there, and then you start asking, you know, chat GBT or, or other tools like that, some questions you're going to get, it's going to expand your mind. Right now that's going to come into the day-to-day -day workflow of companies. And so as a, as a knowledge worker, basically, you're not going to be able to just, uh, you know, be a do things. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to be, you know, out, uh, shined by the AI, right? You need to be able to turn your brain on and well, you can and do it's, it. It, Right. Right. And, and I don't know if, uh, what I find super fascinating, Atif, is that, um, like, I mean, you have like EY, KPMG, Accenture, McKinsey, and all, like all these companies were like, they're all supposed to be or, or are whatever, how I'm, I don't mean anything in particular, but like how they're, they're supposed to be the ones telling everybody like how to think. Right. And like, I think it's fascinating because my, my partners had hired EY like during the private equity role, they were spending like $5 million a month with EY with integration costs and all that stuff disproportionately a lot of kids in their mid twenties that are billing out 400 bucks an hour. And what I find super fascinating is I could sit down in front of a computer if they're sitting right next to me. And if you've had more experience and you know what questions to ask, they, 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 they like your experience gives you the upside almost like, so there's like this, the thinking and the experience actually like, even though they're working at the, one of the most technically the smartest, most powerful, you know, consulting firms, if they don't know what to ask the machine to get them where they want to go faster, there is no more downstream meetings because we don't know what we're doing. Well, yeah, exactly. Right. And the only missing ingredient is ingredient is a problem solving method that you can bring mm -hmm. into your work, which is, you know, the purpose of, why I wrote Decision Sprint, because you have the intellectual capital in your company often, right? You hired the right people for the right reasons. So you have the brain power and now it's more about activating it towards, you know, you know, to the problem you're trying to solve in, in, in a good way. And when there's a little bit of dysfunction in your company, you know, sometimes people go with a consultant because they can come in. It's only a few months. They can interview a lot of stakeholders. They can step back a little bit, ask some of the frame, the right questions, and then so sort of like solve for the dysfunction in the company, but there's a better way and it's not to have the dysfunction to begin with. <laughs> Amen to that. Oh yeah. Yeah. So going back to you, you were talking about the three ways and I believe these are, are these stages within your workflow, uh, where you've got the exploration, which you've touched on and then the next one's alignment, correct? Yeah, exactly. Can you give us a little bit um, some color and some back uh, backdrop? Like, what do you mean by alignment, and how does that uh, show up? Well, alignment is personally meaningful to me because um, I actually banned it, you know, in the C-suite role when I arrived at Volvo. I was so frustrated with um, not only at Volvo but previously in my career, people using the word alignment in the wrong way, um, where they might stop me in the hallway and say, you know, hey, Atif, you know somebody on your team is looking at this brand new, you know, idea for McDonald's. And, um, we really need to align on this before, you know, anyone does any further work. And what they really meant was shut it down. Red tape, red tape, red tape, you know, delivery for McDonald's in 2013 will never work. Well, sorry, that's pre Uber eats. And now, you know, obviously it's, it's a big growth driver for the company. So it did work. So I didn't appreciate the red tape and, and, and the, the word alignment there really meant um, we need to take control at the very top 
decide at the very top, yes, no, and then people can think <clears throat> in the rest of the organization. And that's not, that's not how I roll. You know, I, I hire people who are very bright um, and I empower them. Now they don't get to do whatever they want. They're not working at a car company and building a water bottle, but <laughs> right. they, they are working <laughs> at, a, at a car company trying to look at the future of everything, you know, the buying experience, the, mm -hmm. you know, the way the product works, et cetera. And so uh, I, I did make a mistake though, where I said, okay, I don't want to hear this word alignment. If <laughs> I'm going to ban it, if we're in a meeting <laughs> and you use the word, uh, the meeting's over. <clears throat> so the better way, and I, I did a 180, complete 180 was to. Yeah, well, you need to, you clarify the definition of it. <laughs> exactly. And we need to reframe it, which is basically, Alignment is actually really, really important. We need to have everybody, all the right people required for execution, understand how we got there. Uh, and, and that is really a, a alignment is shared understanding, but we need to do it on the basis of having, you know, done exploration. So I reframed it as exploration before alignment. And so I said, I love alignment, let's do alignment, but how, how, what kind of job have we done on exploration? I said, oh, mm -hmm. we really haven't explored it. Okay, well, let's let's give some time for that. Let's spend a couple of weeks on that. Then we can do the alignment. And so <clears throat> alignment is basically how you, how you look at what's been explored to draw conclusions and create shared understanding. And that you can, you have to do that step, but you have to be ready for it. So does there, um, when I, when I was reading the alignment section, um, and I just obviously I'm biased because of the lens I'm thinking things through, which is finance. And by the way, uh, you and I don't know each other well enough, obviously, but um, I was a copier sales rep and accounting was my worst grade in college. And here I am talking about finance like all the time. Because like, <laughs> like that's all it is. That's all it is. Isn't it? It's like, I, for some reason, the blue book about debits and credits didn't hold my interest in college. But now when I had to do with, you know, like the value of my company, I'm like, okay, I, I can get on board with learning this. But when I think about alignment, I think about like, the misalignment of incentives and KPIs, you know what I mean? Like they're just arbitrary. So many times there's arbitrary KPIs coming out for people's, but like, cause like when I boil it all the way down, the way I think about it, like we all are human beings, we wake up every day. We want to have good connections. We want to have some fun. We want to have some autonomy over what we're doing, but we also want to be aligned with everybody else. Back to your word alignment. And then so many times I see there's a dis disjointed alignment of KPIs, financial incentives, and then the goal and I, I kind of boil it down to like the, one of my favorite examples is uh, in, you know, with Steve Jobs when he went back. Um, oddly enough, we got the whole com comparison with Sam Altman today with Steve and all that kind of stuff. But when I think about when Steve, when Steve came back, what I found super fascinating is I think he ended up creating one P&L from what I gathered because they had all these products and services. And they, like they were all these incentives for everybody to hold their budgets, you know, have their autonomy. And he can collapse them all into one P&L so that way he could unify everybody. And then kind of this, the last part of context stuff is, uh, you know, the book Bold and Abundance by Peter Diamantes. I don't know if you're familiar with those books, but like, I think it was Bold where he was talking about, or was it Exponential Organizations? I can't remember where he was like, hey, create your own P&L for the company that you want to overtake your company as a way of kind of circumventing these incentive misalignments but that's a lot but just i just wanted to give you a little bit more of my thinking when i'm coming to the alignment how do you how do you see the kpis and the financial incentives either as a hindrance or as a um or as an enabler well i do think um yeah things need to um add up right so um i think of it like the tip of a spear where it's like um, what is the tip of the spear from, let's say, even a metrics or objective standpoint. And uh, let's say I'm rolling back, it's McDonald's and it's, you know, 2013. It could just be, um, you know, not a financial thing. It could be more that basically uh, we're rolling out a new way to use McDonald's. You know, for example, you come in and you order on a, on a very large tablet-like thing, and then you take a seat and we bring the food to you. So you don't have to stand in line and we have a, we call it table service and let's say it's a, a brand new idea we may just be you know organized around whether people that. actually like it or not right so mm. or yeah i mean we there may not be a lot of people using it but the people who use it is a nine out of ten stars or is it you know five out of ten stars that's where that's where we're at and if it's nine out of ten stars that's great well now let's just get more 
let's get more adoption. So it might be that customers love it and we have growing adoption and the rest will come, but it can't be, you know, the ultimate measure of like, well, it's incremental, you know, frequency at every sort of retail location, you know, we're not at that point yet. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that to me would be the tip of the spear and then we say, okay. And by the way, teams, you know, they, this is again, a leadership issue because if you share that, uh, if you define that as the tip of the spear, the teams will say, okay, well, how can I contribute to that? Well, I'm in insights and I'm in operations and I'm in, you know, digital media marketing. Okay. Well, here's how I'm going to, there, here are my KPIs that uh, ladder up there. Uh, but it's the work of leadership to, to make that clear, starting with sort of the strategic pillars. Uh, well said, I, it's, uh, I don't know. This is why I just liked your book so much because <laughs> it's like, there's, there's just such a lack of the clearly identified outcome of like, like, what is it that is succeed? Like, what does success look like for everybody? And then we can then go down through alignment. So then what's the, after alignment, what's the, what's the third bucket? So we have exploration, alignment and decision-making. And so decision-making is basically committing to the necessary actions. Um, and the reason why I call this out is because, uh, for several reasons, one is that once you make a recommendation and, you know, stakeholders are bought in the very next thing is to define, Hey, what are the actions that actually bring this to life? Um, and you don't want to just stop short of saying, wow, I'm so excited. Uh, the stakeholders liked what we were recommending. That's, that's like, that's nice, but you should really leverage that to create a lot of momentum for execution. And so then you should break that down. Decision-making is more about the things that then naturally flow into an execution plan. So, I mean, let's, um, you know, let, let's take an example. Let's say your Amazon uh, is a real example. It's you know, 2010, we're working on a new program. We're saying, okay, well, hey, if you are publishing a book through Amazon, which is a, a business unit I was managing, um, you can put your book up on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or anybody else, that's great. Hey, but if you if you do it exclusively with us, um, here's some extra incentive we're going to give you. Uh, and, but it's your choice, right? And you know, there's some pros and cons to that idea. Eventually, we did go with it, um, but it's not about just deciding internally. Hey, we're going to go for this, right? It's like, okay, well, what are the necessary actions if we're going to go for it? And it's a lot of a lot of operational things, right? It's being able to provide customer support. It's monitoring whether people are, you know, honoring the exclusivity. So we've got to like do a lot of web crawling to see if mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. they're really up on Barnes and Noble or not. We have to interact with the authors, but we have to change how we're paying them because we're providing them a lot more incentive, you know, just various things like that. So, you know, just all the things that are actionable then that feed, you know, feed into the execution plan. That's where the decision-making step is. But of course, leading into decision-making, if you want to get the buy-in, you know, you have to draw the red thread between here's the problem we were trying to solve. Here's what we looked at. Here's how we arrived at the conclusions. And here's the recommendations. It's uh, when you were writing the book, did you just like, I'm curious on like the, the thoughts in your head where you're, you're going like, I mean, cause these are so basic, but then they're so important. Like, how do you, how do you reconcile with how basic yet how and fundamental, but how important this is and that you're the one writing this book? I think Ryan is basically uh, human factors, right? Like business is complicated. Um, there's people and personalities. No one is in charge. Most companies are not run by Steve Jobs or Jeff Bezos or Sam Altman. They're run by quote unquote professional managers. So no one is really in charge. Um, from <laughs> Can you put some color behind that? What do you, what do you mean when no one's really in charge? I mean, you know, I mean, this is when you're a founder led, you know, you, you know, that you probably have somebody who's thought very deeply about the culture and everything, you know, so it's just a privilege of, of being a founder. Um, but when you're a professional manager, I mean, you're coming in, there's a system, there's a culture, it's something you're inheriting, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you can try and modify it, but it's, it's really hard. And so the issues are complicated, there's a lot of people involved. And so the human factors mean that we we have pitfalls and we skip steps, right? And it's hard to step outside, like how is this collaboration actually happening right now on this specific idea? And to be like, uh, step outside your body and, and observe it and say, 
oh my gosh, it's getting off the rails, right? It's very hard to do that because you're in the middle of it. Uh, and that is, I think, the main reason why some obvious things are not, uh, you know, recognized. And so rather than- It's kind of that back to the defaulting towards action, right? Because like, I think like there's like, when you have, like, I'm just thinking like back to your point, uh, Tiff is like, if you're sitting in as an executive, and you need to justify to even if it's the board, if you're the CEO, and even if it's the board or the CMO, CFO, you know, CIO, and it's the CEO, you have it's easier to justify action than thinking, right? I mean, like, and and the communication could be an issue as well. You know, like, I mean, let's just say you're Netflix, and someone comes out of a meeting with the CEO, and it's oh, Reed, Reed, Reed says we have a problem with password sharing. Okay, let's. What do we want to do about it? So one person comes out of the meeting, and they say. Reed says we need to crack down on password sharing. And the other person said, Reed says, um, you know, we have, it seems like we have an issue with password sharing. How, do, how should we balance, you know, the user versus the business, right? And those are two different interpretations. I think CEO is very busy and working, you know, has 50 things on the plate. Uh, team comes back in a month, one down one lane versus the other. You know, you get two different uh, recommendations based mm -hmm. on what, uh, what was defined as the problem from the get-go. Uh, and and then things just get very late. There's so many more pitfalls, as we know, mm -hmm. in collaboration uh, beyond that. So my overall overall point is that the system needs to be above the personalities. Uh, and the, system, the system needs to solve for the human factors because the work, you know, the collaboration can always have these, like these defects. So if you were in a manufacturing system, you would look for you know, what are the defects and you would try and kind of re-engineer it and uh, make sure those defects don't, don't happen. And have this, mm -hmm. have the same thing when we have humans in the loop, there will be these potential uh, defects. So the system needs to solve for them. Love it. Uh, that was very well put. Um, how do you recommend that people monitor what's going on? So let's say they go through the whole process, correct, right? So the exploration alignment and then decision-making and they're, they're moving forward, but life and business changes, how do they measure and monitor whether things are working or not? And how do they, how should people handle that? Well, I think they should, they can look at a few things it's basically pulse with the teams in terms of uh, like pace and velocity, like how quickly are we, are we moving as an organization through our ideas? Um, like how confident do we feel about the decisions we're taking? And then I think that it's also um, important that there's actually less burden, like less fewer meetings to get there, basically, <laughs> <laughs> you know, at the end of the day. So for me, what it looks like is, uh, you know, a team might implement decision sprint and after some period of time, they're like, wow, it's a lighter lift. You know, it's, it's less convincing. It's less uh, meetings for meetings sake, right? It's some of the work is even done being done outside meetings. And on top of that, it seems like we're moving faster and we're more confident about what we're, what we're moving on, you know, that's really, in the end, all of those things need to be what we're shooting for. So um, you had a, I can't remember where it was in the book, but I think you you touched on like your definition of culture. I think it had tied into the systems and workflow, but what's your, when you think about culture and how does this change what you, what people think might, might think of culture? Well, I mean, um, culture is more than slogans, right? Because they're every important. <laughs> and I like the slogans, but the slogans need to be the cherry on top. You know, they're not the, the layers of the cake. You know, the culture in the company is really, um, you can tell by doing the day-to-day -day work experience of the employees. So they're in a meeting, they're part of a team, they're collaborating. There's something they're all responsible for. Like, what is their experience and, and, and contributing, you know, and working together, that is actually the culture of the company. So are, do they feel comfortable being heard? Are they able to contribute when they have something useful to say? Is that integrated into the thinking? Uh, do they feel good about um, like what comes out of the teamwork? Like where it's, wow, it's four people and it's one plus one plus one plus one is like eight, you know, mm -hmm. like, then you tell you really, your brain trust is really humming. You know, that is really in the end, um, you know, the, the sign of what the culture culture really is. And uh, what I'm trying to do with Decision Sprint is create a culture where um, people are 
question, you know, lead with questions, and that is a neutral thing. It's not something people take offense to. Um, it is something that actually makes the work product and the ideas better uh, because the ideas are better. People feel like they're more confident in where the company's headed and they get satisfaction because they're, you know, because they feel like uh, we're getting somewhere together. It's uh, so many times, I mean, honestly, when I think about the people that I've worked with, like people just want to execute at a high level with people that they trust towards a unified goal. And like, it's again, back to so basically, when you think about how many people want to leave to go somewhere else, I think it's like, what people are just wondering, what do I what am I doing that's impacting what goal? <laughs> and this is solving a lot of that, which I can only imagine increases the employee retention and satisfaction, etc. What, what are you hoping to, to make a mark on the world with the book? Like, what, what's the long term? Like, what, what are you what are you getting out of it? What are you hoping for? So for me, Decision Sprint is part of a constellation of things, um, but they're all moving towards the same North Star. And that's really to offer kind of, you know, the system for how, kind of the operating system for how companies are managed. And um, I think, you know, spreading ideas and methodology is what I offer in the book. And you can read the book and take certain parts of it and make your work or your team work better today. Um, the other ways to do that are, you know, other parts of my constellation, which are Ritual, and Ritual is an app uh, that actually any team can use to build and run explorations and produce recommendations and just go from a raw objective or idea to, you know, to to something concrete in terms of uh, awesome. like a strategic narrative, right? Um, so I'm kind of democratizing this approach through software, um, and so offering those things, you know, uh, some companies have brought me in to, uh, to do workshops or my team to do workshops for us to stand up some of these workflows, uh, you know, and sort of a services engagement. So it's a constellation of things, Ryan, where basically we're trying to yeah, establish this culture and system of problem solving and you know, continuous innovation in companies, um, you know, to, for the benefit of the companies, but also for uh, for the for the employees, so that our workforce can feel more empowered, you know, contribute and feel better about impact. You having fun? I'm having a lot of fun with it. I mean, it, the beauty is that a lot of times you start, you don't know exactly where you're going, but when you start to see, when you start to see that, like the fish are biting, you know, that's exciting, right? Because then you know there's a need. There's probably a very deep ocean of need in there. So it, often it becomes a question of like, how are we going to, you know, it's such a big need. How are we going to approach it? So that's why I have the constellation of things. That's awesome. Yeah. Is it, is it weird being kind of in your position now versus having all the overhead and responsibility at the previous positions you've had? It is different because, you know, my last role, I was, I was at the president level in the fortune, you know, fortune 300 and there you, you know, it's, it's a different situation. But I think in this case, um, you know, I'm motivated to kind of leave my personal stamp on the world. And um, I think um, building something is always different than sort of, you know, just uh, sort of like uh, doing <laughs> and, more of the same, <laughs> doing more of the same or making small tweets, right? Like, I mean, you get to do that at the top as well, you know, as long as you create the space for it and you're motivated, and you have ideas. But it's just the amount of space you have is is more limited. It might be like, you know, ten or twenty percent of your work versus like ninety percent of your work, which it is right now. So, all my creative juices are are flowing, and 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 that's and and that's very exciting. You know, I think I mean just look at you know OpenAI and things like that. I mean, those are not overnight successes. Those are you know, decade long sort of uh, you know missionary work. You know, like big ideas solving very complicated things you know it takes time to build these uh, these things yeah what are the, here we have another 20 year overnight success right <laughs> like it's uh it's only what the people see um i know we're uh, short on time here so i got two final questions for you well one would be is, is there anything I, I didn't ask that i should have i i think uh i think you know you you're really in touch with why i'm doing this and 
what it offers to, to businesses. So I think we cover a lot of ground. Good. Good. I appreciate that. Um, so one of my questions is the word intentional. I love to hear people's definition of it because I've, I, the name of the show is because of uh, the questions that I've been asking people. So I'm curious of what your definition of intentional is. I, I think um, you easily recognize the outcomes, you know, and, and, and know that they're happening along the way, you know, and to me, that's really what it's about. So if I apply that, and I know you're a very applied person because you explained how you didn't like accounting in theory, but you actually really like it when, <laughs> when it matters. <laughs> um, but yeah, to apply intentional to me is like, okay, um, every day, you know, you can wake up and know that you're actually really connected to uh, where, where this thing was intended to go in the first place. I love it. I love it, man. All right, Atif, um, best place to get in touch with you, the Ritual app, what are the links? We'll put all of the, everything in the show notes for the, for the guests and for the yeah, listeners. Hey, oh, wonderful. So the book is available at decisionsprint.com. Um, ritual.work is the name of, of our uh, software company. And on ritual.work, you can click a link and get you know the product in the app store, and it's uh, free to use for Teams. Um, so those are the main two ways to get in touch if you're interested in Get in touch with me personally, and then LinkedIn is the best way. And I do, I do look at my messages. And you have quite the following, and you've got some wonderful newsletters out there. I will add for the listeners. Atif, this has been an absolute pleasure and honor. I appreciate your time. I had a lot of fun. Ryan, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Atif. I absolutely love his book, Decision Sprint. I highly recommend going and picking it up. And I think it's really important because the better decisions we make, the faster we can get where we want to go. And I think with how many things are unknown right now, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on and it's always going to continue as the rate of change gets faster. We have to have a process for dealing with the unknowns without all the red tape and without being in planning meetings for planning meetings and meetings for meetings. So go check out his book, Decision Sprint. There's input output meetings. He breaks it all down in his book. And if there is one thing that I would recommend if you got some free time during the holidays or you're feeling motivated is check out the Intentional Growth Online Academy and start thinking about what do you want long term, build a mental model on how your company valuation works and how to focus on growing equity value by creating sustainable, predictable, transferable cash flow. You get 500 bucks off of the $1,500 using the coupon code below. And I hope you enjoy the content bite-sized chunks, animations, and a lot of meat, but a lot of good information. And I appreciate everybody for tuning in. Next week, I've got Rob Green on the show, and we're going to be talking about how he is in the online e-commerce and brand building business. And he's got a lot of experience rolling up his sleeves, a lot of uh, experience in the operations. And so it's not just multiple arbitrage, or, or I should say product arbitrage. He has been building real businesses, and he talks about why he's done that, how he's done that, how he's exited them, and how he's designing his life and these businesses around what he wants. And I like it a lot, and I really enjoyed the conversation because I think he reflects a lot about what we teach here on Intentional Growth. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and I will see you next week. Mm-hmm.